I'm looking at the subject this morning of the, the secret life of a believer. And I want to look particularly at prayer, fasting and giving. Perhaps not a good subject coming up to Christmas. Maybe we let our prayer life slip a bit. Uh, you know, the credit cards are maxed out a bit. And we certainly don't want to think about fasting, do we? Um, but I apologize, but I don't apologize uh, for this. So uh, if you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to read a few verses from there, verses 1 to 21. And this is the passage that includes the Lord's Prayer. And I want us to read that together uh, when we get to that. So Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they seek that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. And can we pray this together? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I go to the dentist regularly, and um, we have this same conversation every time I go to the dentist. He usually says, well, Mr. Pratt, that's, that's fine. I don't need to do anything, which is a relief. He says, however, but the cleaning of the teeth, 
those ones at the back, you seem to miss them. And it's like every time I go to the dentist, we have this similar conversation. And I think, does he say this to everyone? Is it part of his patter? And I always come out of the dentist and with great zeal, I think, right, I'm going to crack it this time. I even go to a pharmacy and get a new sort of flossing method and, you know, I go around the same cycle. And, you know, sometimes for us in prayer, fasting and giving, we somehow think, well, I could do better than, than I do. Now, I don't want you to feel like that this morning, but I want you to hear um, Jesus' words and I want you to be inspired by this subject. These are Jesus' words, and he gives us dangers to avoid. He gives us some secrets to learn, and he also gives us some rewards. So that's what we're looking at this morning. So some dangers to remember and to avoid. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And although he spoke these words many hundreds of years ago, they are relevant to us today. These words about money, prayer, and fasting are practical disciplines They're not rules to apply, but practical disciplines that we can practice out of love and devotion to our Father in heaven. I'm making a lot of noise here, aren't I? Is that better? Oh, yes, that's much better. Great. Yeah, they're not rules to apply, but righteous disciplines that we can practice out of love and devotion to our Father in heaven. Jesus uses very strong language here. He says, beware. He says, take notice. Be careful. It's like the sign on the cliff edge, isn't it? Beware cliff edge. So let's look at these two things that Jesus says for us to beware of. The first is to beware of avoid and avoid being seen. In verse 1, he says, don't practice your righteousness in front of others. Jesus is saying very strongly, avoid making a show before other people in order for them to see. And we have this picture of the Pharisees having a fanfare, blowing their trumpets in front of them as they parade to the temple to give their gifts to the poor. The fanfare was a pretense of a call for the poor to come and receive the gift. But really it was all about drawing attention to themselves. They only wanted the applause of men. Pharisees fasted twice a week, on a Monday and a Thursday. And when the Pharisees fasted, they neglected personal hygiene, which is not a good thought, is it? They skipped the shower gel and the deodorant and covered their heads with either a sack or smeared ash on their faces to make them look pale. The the purpose was that others would see. Avoid making it obvious when you're fasting. Jesus said, when you fast, Don't look gloomy or sad. Have a wash. Put on your hair gel. Use your hair straighteners. Don't look different. Don't make it obvious when you're fasting. Note that Jesus said, when you fast and not if. Fasting, you see, is not about the external, but it's all about expressing our humility before God. And Jesus is saying very clearly here, Don't be seen praying loudly on street corners or making it obvious when you fast. Don't blow your own trumpet before others. So don't pray fast or give with a proud heart. The second danger that Jesus um, highlights here is to beware and avoid being a hypocrite. Three times in this passage, Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. The word hypocrite has the meaning of taking on a false identity. 
The word applies to actors who take and act out an identity that is different from their own. It's acting a part. So Jesus is saying, don't be false. Don't become a religious actor. Be true to who you are. We can deceive ourselves and we can deceive others, but we can't deceive God. And in verse 5, Jesus says, beware. Don't be like the hypocrites. Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. So long, loud, wordy, repetitious prayers can be hypocritical. You know, we can have a well-crafted, theologically accurate prayer that can come from a very cold heart, one that just wants to be seen and heard. And Jesus says, if you pray like that, you've received your reward. Therefore, prayer that is self-centered, self-righteous, looking to impress or praise uh, from others is empty and meaningless. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, ultimately, our only reason for pleasing men around us is that we might please ourselves. When we're tempted to show off our good deeds, that's the very time to hide them. Our devotion of giving, prayer and fasting must be in secret so we don't boast about them. If we boast, then we've got the instant reward, the applause of men. If we only attend prayer meetings to please others, that's not a good motivator, is it? God will draw those who want to seek him to be in his presence, to pursue his heart. I was quite shocked recently when I heard a, a New Frontiers leader say, I don't worry about how many people pray, attend prayer meetings. I don't count the numbers anymore. You know, God, will, God calls, but we will always find the time uh, to pray and to seek his face. And it's the same with fasting and giving. Prayer, fasting and giving are a great thermometer to our own spiritual temperature. And it's good to take our temperature occasionally, isn't it? Jesus is saying, don't be like the Pharisees, the Gentiles, the pagans, the religious, those in the world. Live differently. Beware of being seen and being a hypocrite. If you want to turn to Luke chapter 18, I'll just read a parable of Jesus there, which is a powerful, powerful. Luke 18, verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Do we pray like that sometimes in our heart? We might not say it, but do we think, I'm glad I'm not like so-and-so? I fasted twice a week. I give tithes to, of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God have mercy to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Strong words, aren't they? So avoid hypocrisy, avoid being seen. Don't tell the world on Facebook what you're doing. Secondly, some secrets, and this is some good stuff here. These are secrets for us to find in this passage. The secret of giving. 
Jesus starts in the second verse here. When you give to the needy. So again, not if, but when you give to the needy. To be a disciple of Jesus means that we will be givers. But when, what does it mean in that, in that verse 3 when it says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing? Does it mean when you're writing out your cheque, you put your left hand behind so you doesn't see? I don't think so. Now, it means firstly, we do not tell others what we're giving. And secondly, we don't even tell ourselves what we're giving. Let me just explain that a bit. In other words, not to be self-conscious of what we give so that we do not give and become self-righteous and self-congratulating in what we give. Oh, I've given this so much, you know. When we give, we forget about it. We don't keep an account. It's all about removing pride over the amounts that we give. Don't be self-congratulating. When we give our tithes and offerings to God here each week and each month, we're giving firstly to God and then to the needy in Helsham. We're giving that the gospel might be preached to all men and women and children in this area. We give to the financially poor as well as the poor in spirit. We give that the kingdom of God might be seen, heard and experienced and increase in this town. Amen? Good, you're still with me. Well done. If God has entrusted you with a small amount of money, then give joyfully from that. If God's given you a moderate income, then give joyfully from that. If God's given you tons of money, then give joyfully from that. I remember an example that Andy Johnson gave of um, reverse tithing. It was uh, not a Christian, but I think it was a relative uh, of his. And this um, person came into a five-figure sum And he kept 10% for himself and gave 90 away. I think that's amazing, isn't it? We can always uh, give more. It's good to review our our giving regularly. It's good to budget. I I approve of budgeting. It's a great principle. But how about starting budgeting for our next gift day now? If we bury our treasure, if we bury our money... We bury our hearts. As Christians, we are to share. Here at Christchurch, you know, we're not, we're not building an empire. If we were building an empire, I don't think we would choose a warehouse on an industrial estate. No, what we're doing is using the treasure that God has given into our hands for heavenly purposes. Amen. We give it that God's storehouse would be released and the kingdom would be seen here on earth and in other nations. John Stott said, Christian giving is marked by self-sacrifice, self-forgetfulness, and not by self-congratulation. That's a great quote. I'll give it to you again. Christian giving is marked by self-sacrifice, self-forgetfulness, and not by self-congratulations. For where our treasure is there is where our heart will be. Prince Harry has put his, some of his treasure where his heart is, hasn't he? Did it with an outstanding ring, a huge diamond from Botswana for the beautiful Megan. We put our treasure where our heart is, don't we? Jesus gave up the riches and treasures of heaven. He took on human flesh and became the incarnate son of God. Why? For the treasure he saw in you and me. Jesus could have done it differently. He could have lived longer than 33 years, yet he gave his life willingly for us because of his love for you and me. 
No one took his life from him. He lay it down. Jesus came because of the treasure he sees in you and me. Where our treasure is, there our heart will be. Where do we stockpile our treasure? Second secret we see here is praying. Find a secret place to pray and to be with God. That can be a chair, it can be a room, it can be a particular place, it can be walking the dog, whatever, that secret place where you can commune with God, be in his presence. Jesus said here, go into your room and shut the door. Shut out distractions, even the distractions of ministry. Shut the door on any disturbance. Shut off the phone. Be where we can not be seen. Go to that place where you can be shut away with God. Be it the South Downs or the beach or your man cave or your girl equivalent. Not quite sure what a girl equivalent is. But find that place that works for you. Paul and Silas found that secret place in the unlikely location, a prison. Busy mums when you're walking the streets and your child is finally asleep in the buggy. Find that secret place. Find that secret place in the home if you have to lock the bathroom door. Find the treasure of a secret place. Young people, you know, always find a secret place to meet up with someone. I have a distant memory of that. We always find that secret place, don't we, when we want to. Prayer, you know, is not a one-way conversation. Prayer is a, not a monologue, it's a dialogue. It was always intended to be a dialogue between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you. And when we follow God, when we pursue him with our hearts, then we have that dialogue in the secret place. The discipline of private prayer is good because it purifies our motives and it aligns us with heaven. It aligns us with the Father's will. You know, we so often congratulate ourselves, don't we? Done the quiet time, tick for the day. But things can be different. Daniel prayed three times a day. Jews pray three times a day, some of them. Muslims pray five times a day. Paul encourages us to pray without ceasing, to be engaged in that constant dialogue with our Father. That's how I want to live, constant communion with my Father. People often say to me, I find it really hard to concentrate, you know, when I'm, when I'm in that sort of secret place with God. I I, you know, my mind wanders. And uh, I'd like to recommend this book to you um, by... Um, Paul Miller, it's called A Praying Life. And just listen to what he says about that. When your mind starts wandering in prayer, be like a little child. Don't worry about it. Remember, you're in a conversation with a person. Instead of beating yourself up, learn to play again. Pray about what your mind is wandering to. Maybe it is something that is important to you. Maybe the Spirit is nudging you to think about something else. That's quite a thought, isn't it? Because most of us, if we're honest, have wandering, wandering thoughts. Yeah, I recommend this book. It's very, very practical. Uh, probably the best I've read on prayer. It's called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. I lost my place. Another secret, I think, in, in our prayer life is to use few words, 
Some of us are very wordy, aren't we? We can be very verbose. This Lord's Prayer that we uh, read this morning, it's only about 50 words. Not many at all, isn't it? You see, the real heart of prayer is to seek our Father in heaven and to listen to him. Listening to what our Father has to say is far more important than what we have to say. The key to prayer, I think, is to listen, to listen, and to listen. You know, we've been given two ears and one mouth, probably for a very good reason. Maybe we're meant to listen twice as much as we're meant to talk. I don't think Jesus went into the mountains and the hills alone at night to present a shopping list of prayers to God. I don't think he came with his agenda for tomorrow or his next mission trip. I think he was fellowshipping with the Father. He was dialoguing with the Father. He was seeking the Father's face. He was aligning himself with heaven's agenda. If it was in the heart of Jesus to seek the Father's face, I believe it is the same and true for us. And I'd like to suggest that life group and prayer meetings are not the main place we pray. If that's the only place we pray, we've got a wrong balance there. God wanted to speak to Elijah, you know, in the secret place on Mount Horeb. Elijah was in a cave, you probably remember the story, and God said to him, go stand out on the mount before the Lord. And the Lord passed by. There was a great strong wind, enough to tear and split rocks. That must have been some mighty wind, mustn't it? And then an earthquake, followed by a fire, but the Lord was not in these. And the ESV tells us, then a low whisper. So quiet that Elijah had to go outside of the cave to the entrance of the cave to hear it. When we position ourselves in the right place, we can hear God. When we position ourselves in that secret place, we can hear the whispers of God. Jesus also goes on then to talk about the secret of forgiveness. I'm not going to unpack that this morning. We've talked about that a number of times recently. But if you're in a place of unforgiveness, I encourage you for your own spiritual health that you deal uh, with any unforgiveness. It will bless you. The next secret we see is fasting. Fasting for evangelical Christians today is probably a neglected and perhaps a forgotten discipline. Many Old Testament characters fasted, such as Moses and Esther, to name a couple. John the Baptist and Jesus fasted. The early church fasted. Jesus fasted at least once for 40 days. Fasting is usually about abstaining from food, totally or partially, for a short or long period. Fasting is all about denying ourselves for spiritual reasons. Fasting is associated with self-discipline, self-denial and self-control. Fasting is linked with prayer and is often practiced in conjunction with special times of seeking God. But like prayer, giving, fasting can be a regular discipline too. When you think about fasting, I guess you're a bit like me, all sorts of excuses come into your mind why not to fast. The only medical reason that I know of for not fasting is that if you're an insulin-dependent diabetic. But there are many ways to fast, and I'll give you a few different ideas in a moment. Another reason people give for not fasting is that they're on medications. They need to be taken with food. Yes, but they don't have to be on a three-course roast dinner. You know, you can have medicines with just a, some toast in your stomach. 
I remember the first time I fasted as a teenager. I'd never fasted before and went straight to a three-day water-only fast. It was the most miserable three days I ever had. I had headaches, had halitosis and a horrible mood as well. I will not be hypocritical in this area. You know, I've got lots to learn. I need to grow in this area. But the key thing is that if there's no joy in our fasting, there's something wrong. We've got something out of balance there. But some practical tips. I would say experiment a bit. We're not given hard and fast rules how to, how to fast. So experiment a bit. Try missing one meal and spending that time in prayer. That is very, very easy to do, I can assure you. Try missing breakfast and a midday meal and spending that time in prayer. Try um, just drinking normal amounts of tea and coffee and juices rather than going to water. Try taking caffeine out of your diet a few days before a fast. That can sometimes help. Fasting from TV, computer games or some leisure activity is also a valid way of fasting um, as a spiritual discipline. If you're married, you can fast from sex with agreement of your partner. If you're single, you're on a fast anyway, so sorry about that. How about this for an idea about fasting? I think this is really cool. This idea came to me. Fast from chocolate or something you really, really like, okay? With the money that you save from fasting from chocolate for a month or two months, whatever, you then ask God to show you some needy person and go and bless them with a Big Mac or something like that. That way you're, you're praying, you're fasting, and you're giving to the needy all in one shot. I think, isn't that a brilliant idea? Oh, I thought it was a brilliant idea. <laughs> Can I challenge you to ask God how you should start fasting? Be creative in fasting. As I say, we're not given any um, hard and fast rules about it. A really good book on fasting is this one by Arthur Wallace. It's a very old book. I looked it up on Amazon. It's still um, available. It's called God's Chosen Fast, and it's an excellent book, very practical, and uh, he was a great man of God. I've got a slide here with one quote, um, if, you, if you can put that up for us, Ruby. And this is a brilliant slide. You might want to take a photo of this. John Sott said, Christian righteousness must be allowed to penetrate beyond our actions and words to our hearts, minds, and motives, and to master us even in those hidden secret places. I think that is a fabulous quote. Christian righteousness must be allowed to penetrate beyond our actions and words to our hearts, minds, and motives, and to master us even in those secret places. The secret life of a believer involves us giving, praying, and fasting in secret. But you know that passage gives us some rewards as well. And I just want to touch on these rewards uh, very quickly for us. Jesus says in this passage that our Father rewards your secret giving, your secret praying, and your secret fasting. But what are these rewards? They're both here and in eternity. Um, but they're not actually explicit in the passage, but I see them implicitly there in the Lord's Prayer. The reward of the kingdom coming. You know, as we give, fast, and pray, the kingdom of God will come here on earth. We will receive the kingdom here in greater measure. That is a reward for us. We want to see that, don't we? We want to see it here in this place. We want to see it on the streets of Halsham, the kingdom coming. 
We have the reward of our daily bread. That huge blessing of God meeting our personal needs. And he was speaking to that about us, wasn't he, in the words that were given, that he is with us in our needs, whether that's we need food or whether we need some other comfort. Our God promises that he will meet our daily needs. We have the reward of forgiveness through Jesus from our Heavenly Father as we forgive others. And then the reward of deliverance from temptation. John, James 4 says, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That is a reward for you. God wants to give you that. Isn't that fantastic? Finally, um, I want to just go back to that little phrase which struck me and which has come out a bit in, in our, uh, our worship this morning. Jesus said, go to your room and shut the door. Go to your room and shut the door. The word there for room means storeroom. The storeroom in a house at this time would have been used to store valuables and treasures. So what Jesus is saying, go to the storeroom, go to that secret place and you'll find heavenly treasure. In that storeroom, there will be an abundance of peace and joy, love, refreshment, quenching of thirst and satisfying of spiritual hunger, knowing that we're no longer lost, we're no longer orphans, we're no longer prodigals. That secret treasure room is a place where we can be at home, a place where heaven's treasure is there for us and it won't disintegrate, it won't wear out the moths and might can't get at it. Colossians 2 says, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ are hidden all those treasures. Father God has given Jesus to us. He's, Jesus was heaven's best treasure. Jesus gave his life, his treasure of love for us on the cross. That you and I might have access to that secret place. The heavenly treasure store that we can enjoy here on earth. And as we practice these disciplines, not that we have to, but because we want to. That our giving, our praying and our fasting, we might know the joy of discovering those riches in heaven's storehouse. You have been listening to a sermon from Christchurch Hailsham. For more information or to contact us, visit ChristchurchHailsham.org.